Welcome fam, this is MD Femme. We are a group of female physicians from diverse backgrounds who have decided to share our stories with you, our listening audience. We are real, we are honest, and we are candid about topics that affect all of us. We hope that our dialogue will dispel myths, change culture, and rewrite the narrative. Please visit us on Instagram, Facebook, and our website, mdfem.com. If you have questions or a topic you would like us to address, please don't hesitate to reach out to us through our social media, website, or our email. We listen, we care. MDFem. We're on with MD Sam. I'm Dr. Kristen Scatliff. I'm here with Dr. Clea Ampadu and Dr. Emily Shea. And we are talking about COVID-19. Everybody is talking about COVID-19. <laughs> so we thought it was appropriate to have an episode about this, discussing, you know, what, what we know and what we don't know and how you can prepare at home. And, you know, number one message we want to send to you is do not panic, plan. Okay. Yeah. So the first thing we're going to talk about, well, first of all, I want to just kind of, you know, um, give our backgrounds. I'm a pulmonary critical care physician, which means I work in the ICU. Um, and Aquia is an internal medicine hospitalist. And Emily Shea is an infectious disease specialist and a critical care fellow. Okay, so let's talk about the symptoms. What symptoms should people look for that should cons- be concerning for COVID? And also, how should they know the difference between, say, COVID-19 and your regular flu? So I think, I guess that, I guess you talk about what is coronavirus. So COVID-19 is the name that's now being used. I think it stands for coronavirus infectious disease, 19 referring to the year when it, you know, basically came to be. Um, The coronavirus itself is not a brand new virus. I think um, maybe a lot of people are under the misconception that it's brand new, um, but it's not. Coronavirus has been around for years. I remember when this all started, a lot of people were looking on their Lysol wipe bottles and saying, hey, look, it's the coronavirus can be killed by Lysol wipes. So coronavirus is not necessarily new. We had the SARS uh, epidemic, which was, was it 2009? I think it was 2003. I can't remember exactly which year, but that was a coronavirus the MERS, which was not, which was the was the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, mm-hmm. was also a coronavirus species. So there's coronavirus has always been around. Um, it's not brand new. There have been other coronavirus illnesses that have caused epidemics. SARS, I think, was a pandemic because it was worldwide. So this is just another species of coronavirus that. For whatever reason, which I don't think we fully understand just yet, is either um, I don't know if it's actively mutating or if it's just very easily transmissible. That part we don't know because it's brand new and it's just causing a lot of havoc. And so I think a lot of people around the world are, while we're trying to treat it, they're also trying to figure out why, you know, why is it so virulent and causing so much trouble. So, um it's not a new virus. It's always been around. This one is just, for whatever reason, particularly virulent and causing a lot of trouble. Um, Presentation-wise, it's a respiratory illness, meaning it infects or affects the respiratory tract, so your lungs, essentially, for all intents and purposes, for the general public, your lungs and the breathing tube, um, and it is basically like the flu. So you cough, sneeze, 
um, sore throat, runny nose, that those are the kinds of symptoms that you're going to manifest or that someone would manifest. So it's initially you probably wouldn't be able to tell it different between, you know, do I have the flu or do I have coronavirus or do I potentially just have allergies? It may not, it may be difficult to, to tell initially, Mm -hmm. um, very high fever or fever in general. Obviously, if you have allergies, you're not going to have fever. So if you have a fever, you have some kind of respiratory illness. It doesn't mean that it's COVID-19 or coronavirus. It could be influenza, which is something that we deal with every year, that we talk about every year. Um, it could be something like, you know, any other respiratory virus. We have respiratory syncytial virus or RSV. We have rhinovirus. We have adenovirus. There's a whole bunch of, a whole slew of other respiratory viruses that they all present essentially the same way. Um, so it's, again, going to be difficult to tell, hey, this feels like coronavirus. No one can tell you that. You have to be a person of high, um, highly suspicious, meaning you have potentially a travel history or, and not, I guess travel history is becoming, pro- it's still important, but probably less and less important as to the destination that you went to because community spread is now a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so travel history, though still important, is not becoming in my mind, as important, though it's something that I, as a physician, would still ask about. Um, so your travel history and would make you someone of high interest. And also, if you were in contact with somebody who was a confirmed or suspected case and who also had respiratory symptoms, that makes you what is being termed a PUI or a person under investigation, potentially. Right. Meaning you have symptoms that could be um, coronavirus, and you've had some kind of contact either with a location or a person who is a confirmed coronavirus case. Okay, so just to kind of you know end on to your what you're saying, the number one symptoms that they talk about, and this is all the information that we're giving you that's validated is coming from the CDC, okay, directly. And if you want to know information about COVID-19, you can go to cdc.gov and you get your, that is the peer-reviewed number one source that's out there. It's very important that the information you get is validated information. A lot of people are saying a lot of different things and it's not right. Okay. So the first thing is fever, cough, shortness of breath. Those are the three most prevalent symptoms we're seeing in COVID-19, which is also known as SARS-CoV-2. Okay. Um, like Emily said, it is an infection of the lungs and the trachea and so forth that are going down. Now, what's really important about this is that, yes, travel history was a, an initial you know, screening for us to test. But as cases go up, as prevalence of cases goes up in your area, it's going to be less and less important because of community spread. So if you have a fever a cough or shortness of breath, okay, and you think you may have been exposed to someone that was positive or something of that nature, what we want you to do is to call your primary care physician. Don't go to the ED, okay? Do not go to the ED for minor symptoms. And here's why. Number one, if you are infected, now you're spreading your illness to the entire emergency department. That's the first thing. 
The second thing about this also is that if you aren't infected, you've not put yourself at risk for coming in contact with someone who might be infected in the ED. The third reason is that you are overwhelming the resource. We do have limited resources here in the United States, okay? So if you have mild symptoms, and like I said, fever, cough, shortness of breath, you call your primary care, they will talk to you, okay? This is when telemedicine comes in hand, okay? They'll talk to you, they'll ask you certain questions, and then they'll tell you exactly what to do before coming into the office and possibly getting tested, okay? That's what we want you to, to know. Information is power. So if you have these symptoms, don't panic. Call your doctor, okay? All right. One of the things that we're noticing now is that like a little bit of background on the virus. Like you said, it's not new. Coronavirus is like a, a, the, the current one that we're seeing, COVID-19, is one of a family of seven to nine viral species, okay? What they're seeing in the genetic testing, and this came out, We so as physicians, we're reading articles constantly. New England Journal of Medicine, JAMA, so forth, has been publishing all that they can get on this virus. And one of the first things that they published was about cases that were coming out of Wuhan. That was where this all originated from. And what they saw was the wet dry markets was this hot spot for where this could possibly have started, okay? And when they did the genetic analysis on the current COVID-19, it is 99% similar to the, the one that they see in pangolins. What's a pangolin? It's a scaled mammal. So they're thinking that that was the intermediate host. Okay, that cause crossover from animals, because that's where coronaviruses normally live in animals, to humans. Okay, they are thinking that this is either respiratory or airborne spread. What does that mean? Respiratory means if I cough, if I sneeze, I give it to you. Okay, it's not something that's given through food. Okay, it's not something that's given through through um, the touch part of this is because you cough and you sneeze, the droplets get on your hand and they get on high contact surfaces or you pass it on to someone else. That's why we talk about spread of six feet. Six feet is a safe distance from any other person and that's part of the social distancing, okay? Um, one of the things that's very interesting with this is that a lot of people are using masks. Okay, because of the respiratory airborne thing. And let me explain and see, pulmonary doctor, why this does not make any sense. Okay, we talk about things in terms of fine particulate matter, it's called PMs. If you ever looked at your air quality index on your phone when you're looking at, you know, is it a, is it a bad day for my allergies? Is it not? Or, or in terms of smog areas like LA and so forth, um, you'll always see they'll talk about particulate matter and AQHI, that's the air quality health index, okay? Mm -hmm. Particulate matter comes in two groups, okay? We talk about those that are 10 microns in size and those that are less than 2.5, okay? 10 microns affects the trachea and the upper respiratory. It's bigger particles, okay? Less than 2.5 or 2.5 microns, that's what affects the lower tract. Guess where viruses sit in the 2.5? What about these N95 masks or these surgical masks that you're wearing? Well, if you had a microscope and you could look at it in a, a bigger view, it's basically this is the hole in your mask and that's the virus. I know. I Doesn't work. Okay? The N95 is only used for PPE within the hospital. Okay? And the reason for that is that we have a confirmed case. We're doing some type of high-risk procedure. We're going to aerosolize this virus, possibly, okay? 
And the other reason for that is we've been fitted for these masks. We go through an entire training with this mask. If the mask was not properly fitted for you, okay, then there's a great chance it's leak. And then guess what? You can call that an N mask, not an N95, because you're not blocking 95% of those particles. Okay? We need to, we need to be educated. Yeah, and when yeah. you go and you buy up 195 masks, guess what? Those are 100 masks that healthcare workers who are taking care of you will no longer have access to you. Right, You're right. putting the healthcare industry at risk. We need to be educated and we need to be sensible and we need to be selfless. I know that that sounds crazy because everybody's running to the supermarket for toilet paper. But let me tell you. When it's not a GI disease. It's not a GI disease. It's a respiratory disease. I don't know if everybody's got... don't understand the association for the toilet. I guess because they think they're going to be sequestered for a long time. They need the toilet paper. (laughs) Guess what? I don't know how much you're going to the bathroom, but that might be a problem you want to talk to with your primary care physician. With your (laughs) physician. (laughs) I just think that at this time, I've seen so many things happen in the last couple of days. We need to be concerned about others also. That's how we're going to stop the spread of this virus. If you have a cough or you're feeling not well, guess what? Stay home. Right. Do not come to work. Do not take the risk and call your primary care physician. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's very important that you look out not only for yourself but for others in this. And then if you buy up all the hand sanitizer and all the Lysol wipes, guess what? The people in your neighborhood don't have them anymore. They're not using them. It's going to still come to your door. That's not very smart, is it? So, brother, in wherever it was, I read in the MSNBC article that has 17,000 bottles of sanitizer. You need to start donating that. Or you be sick with sanitizer. Okay. All right. Okay, have you seen any or heard of any cases, like, through your... um, Because we're all going to be... We're on the front lines of it. Yes. Eventually, if we haven't seen a case yet, we're all going to see, whether it be hospitalist or primary care or pediatrician, or we're all going to see somebody who is concerned or mm-hmm. someone who comes in with a fever. And So have you seen or heard of anyone yet on the hospitalist side of things where you have been? No, I haven't personally, but through many of the hospitalist groups that I'm in, um, a lot of hospitalists from around the country are recognizing patients who have symptoms or concerns for possible COVID. Now, kind of like what you said, uh, Kristen, you, it's a fine line between is it possibly the coronavirus infection or is this just a, a, an allergy because we are in allergy season? Is this possibly influenza because the flu is still around or is this possibly pneumonia or even a COPD exacerbation? So that's where everything becomes quite tricky because like you, you said that the um, top three symptoms are the cough, uh, difficulty breathing or respiratory distress and fever. Unfortunately, sometimes that can also be confused with uh, just a community acquired pneumonia. Right. Sometimes right. a COPD exacerbation. So if anything, what I'm seeing now is a lot of... Uh, hospitalists having difficulty trying to figure out what what is actually going on with a patient. Um, and to, to what you said, Emily, a lot of it boils down to taking a good history. If the patient has traveled, if the patient has been exposed to somebody who um, 
who may have traveled or may have contracted the coronavirus. I do think that now that more rapid tests are becoming available, um, I, didn't, I don't think we talked much about that, the fact that um, um, not every facility is equipped to do testing, and not everybody necessarily needs to be tested. You know, there are just a, 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 a certain number of rapid tests and uh, tests that need to be sent out that are available correct, um, currently. I believe the CDC is trying its very hardest to create these tests as quickly as possible, but there's only so much that, that they can do. But I think as more and people are starting to get tested, we'll be discovering more and more cases. One thing I think we do need to mention, and something that unfortunately I've noticed that the, the media is not talking about, is the positives. There are several people, whether in Europe or in the U.S., who have contracted coronavirus and who are recovering. Contracting and recovering. There are several people, I think the latest number, I may be mistaken, was about 60,000 people who were positive around the world and either had mild symptoms, moderate symptoms, um, did not die, and are recovered. So I think, you know, the media's uh, focusing more on the bad outcomes, right. on the people who right. are dying, the people who are, are in the ICU, which is important, but let's not forget the fact that there are several cases of people who are contracting it and living to tell the next day and living to tell their and share their experiences. I think we need to uh, speak more about that to really um, help the, the, the public and bring down a lot of this fear and anxiety and this panic, this sheer panic that's going on. Panic is, is actually something that causes stress mm-hmm. and can stress, it can increase cortisol levels. Exactly. All this panic is actually not, it's doing quite the opposite for your immune system. Right. Right. It is. It is. That, and when you panic, you don't use your brain. If you, anybody who watches scary movies, the people who panic, <laughs> I say that all the time. The person who panics in the horror movie, that's who's going to die next because they're not thinking they run into the room with the killer or something. Or if they're lucky enough to knock the killer out, you're sitting on the other side of the screen screaming, knock him out again, knock him out again. No, they stand over him and watch because their brain is not working because they're not chatting. Yeah, I'm amazed. And I'll be honest with you, I'm a bit disappointed in the media. I understand that they need ratings and they need money, but it's, it's harboring a sense of fear. Listen, I understand trying to inspire and 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 motivate people to take this seriously but there's a thin line like you're saying you go from making this a very important or or stressing the importance of this to creating pandemonium that's what you have right now you have people panicking because panic that can be the only explanation for why they're hoarding toilet paper i do not understand any other no logical person go to Costco and buy (laughs) Big packs of toilet paper. You're never going to use that. Not even in the, in, in the year. Like <laughs> it makes no sense. It makes no sense. I you know, and so I agree with you totally. The media has a responsibility not only to highlight the negative in this, but to also highlight the positive. Number one, I feel like our World Health Organization and the CDC has to be commended. They have moved quickly. Yes. 
They're doing everything that they possibly can to try to mitigate what's happening, okay? And they have found out a lot. Think about if this had happened 10 years ago, we would not have the genomic code for this. We would not have tests already. We would not have this kind of moved response. I feel like social media is doing two things, and the news. They're, They're mobilizing people. It's informing individuals, but it's also creating waves of panic because you have a lot of misinformation out there also. Misinformation, yeah. I was gonna say you have to be mindful of where you're getting your information. Social media is good for disseminating information because not everybody is watching the local news or reading the newspaper anymore. People get their stuff from Twitter or from Instagram or for mm-hmm. Facebook or whatever social media platform. So yes, it's good to get your information, but you have to check your source. You can't, yeah. the people who are saying, oh, I can't, it's so sad. Somebody very close to me sent me, I guess there's something circulating, reportedly coming from a physician in one of these countries, saying that if you can hold your breath for 10 seconds, you do not have coronavirus, which is, I was, is absolute hogwash. and, And if you can, and to prevent it, you must keep your airways moist, so have warm showers and you know, steam the bathroom. Absolute poppycock. I can't. You know, one where they said you drink water, you wash it down into the back in the gastric acid will kill it? Garbage. Absolute (laughs) foolishness. That is not true. And I told the person who sent that to me, who I assume then, who sent it out to other people because it was a forward, that this, they should not be sending this out, that it's foolishness. And it's just you have to be mindful of where you're getting your information double check triple check if you're not sure you know talk to talk to a physician talk, just you can't trust everything that you read or see or receive just and don't do it or if you want the most reliable information the cdc.gov is your number one source yes verify something or they have lots of information on there for regular people, for healthcare professionals. You have more than enough information on that site. Please go to it to verify. I totally see. I think that that, that some of the stuff is being taken out of context. I think that that, what that physician was probably trying to say is if it was actually a physician, because we don't really know. Let's assume where it came from. Okay. Let's assume where it came from. What I'm thinking that they were trying to do is a test to see how short of breath you are in terms of severity of illness. I don't know. I'm just being positive. I don't know. I don't know. Because (laughs) the only reason you should be going into the hospital for this is if you have unremitting fevers. I mean, really high fevers. You're experiencing chest pain, okay, or shortness of breath. Those are the three red flags right there. Or you have confusion also. Confusion, like I don't know where I am or your behavior has changed. And mm-hmm. those are red flags. You need to go to the emergency room immediately. That's signs of ARDS. And we do not want, which is acute respiratory distress, distress syndrome. Just want to clarify that. And those patients need to be admitted. Okay? That's yeah. illness. I think it's very important for us to, to stress. These are the symptoms, but these are the signs that you should call you know, either the ambulance or get to the hospital as soon as possible, okay? Those are the the warning signs. People who are most at risk, let's talk about that. Yeah. 
there's a couple populations. The first population is the elderly, okay? We've seen that patients over the age of 60 are the ones that are really affected per the information that's coming from the CDC and all these other articles. We also see that individuals with heart disease, hypertension, diabetes, pre-existing lung conditions like COPD and our transplant patients, which, you know, Emily can talk more about, those individuals immunosuppressed or, or they have some type of pre-existing condition are the ones that are most at risk for severe disease. Doesn't mean that you and I can't get it. It just means that it's more likely for those individuals to end up with severe disease, okay? So, um, Emily, you want to talk about the, the, what the immunosuppressed means so that folks can understand? So immunosuppressed individuals are people whose immune system is just, it's not normal for all intents and purposes. So for whatever reason, um, people, when I think of someone as being immunosuppressed, somebody who's on something like prednisone for a prolonged period of time, um, um, HIV or AIDS patients, even if you are well-controlled, meaning you're on your medications, your viral level is low, you see a physician um, frequently. I would, me personally, again, this is just me personally, I would put you in the, the immunosuppressed or immunocompromised population because even though your you know, disease is under control, it can still, there's still other changes in your body and the cells of your body that put you, in my mind, at risk. Um, other patients would be transplant patients or patients who are on immunosuppressive medications for whatever reason. Uh, so maybe lupus patients, um, patients with vascular diseases or any other kind of autoimmune disease. And obviously, like I said, transplant patients, those kinds of patients are chronically on or lifelong immunosuppressive medications to basically dumb down their immune system so that their body doesn't fight the organ that they got from somebody else. So those people are at increased risk of being affected. I don't think I've heard, I mean, everyone is talking about the older population or people with chronic medical illnesses, but I haven't heard of anyone talking about transplant patients yet and how it's affecting them. But in my mind, if someone with high blood pressure and diabetes or COPD can be affected and their immune system is for all intents and purposes relatively normal, then somebody with an immune system that's worse than that would be at an even higher risk in my mind. But, you know, this is me kind of extrapolating things in my mind. This is not anything that's been reported per se or that I have heard to have been reported. So I would encourage, you know, this is kind of an, an informative thing. We're not telling people how to diagnose. We're just saying, you know, for the lay person out there, these are the things that we as medical physicians and as humans are thinking about, and we're kind of trying to relay it to you. But if you have any questions or concerns, you should talk to your local physician, be your primary care, urgent care, and as um, Kristen said, if you are, and as and if the CDC and who are recommending the same thing, if you feel ill, do not go to work, do not go to school, and you need to contact the physician's office that you would potentially be going to before you get there and say, hey, I'm having a fever. I may have, you know, sore throat, I'm coughing. Tell them so that they can set up a way for them to evaluate you safely 
mm-hmm. for both themselves and the other patients who are potentially in the waiting room or get you to a facility that can or direct you to a facility that can be prepared to take care of you safely. It's for your safety, for the safety of the people taking care of you and for the safety of the other people who are going to be in the waiting room or in the vicinity around you. Right, right. So what we can do to decrease our chances of getting this and of transmitting it to others, okay? These are the big, big things. These are the social things, okay? So what people don't understand is that it's the same way that vaccines, and I really would love to talk to an anti-vaxxer right now, okay? <laughs> don't but, even uh, touch it. Don't even touch it with a 10-foot pole. But, but this is really why we push vaccines, right? The community effort is what suppresses transmission, okay? They have this diagram that's going around with two hills. One is a sharp peak and a sharp up, and the other one is a nice, slow slump down here. And the reason they're showing that is because they're showing the power of your community effort in suppressing the transmission of disease, okay? So the first thing we're talking about is washing your hands. Washing your hands is such a big, big part of this, okay? The first thing you want to do is 20 seconds. This is not new. This is how long you should have been washing your hands for all of your life, but 20 seconds is the time frame, okay? And you want to wash while you're clasping, clasping, interlace, interlace, on top, on top, inside, inside, squish, squish, thumb, thumb. That is how you wash your hands, okay? And you should get a song or something. I personally use um, um, Outcast. Um, ain't nobody as dope as me. I'm so fresh and clean. So fresh and clean. It works. It's 20 seconds. It's 20 seconds. You can use that. You can use whatever you need, but you need to be washing your hands for 20 seconds, okay? I think... Um I think happy birthday, if you sing it twice over, is 20 seconds, I think I read. I think if you sing the chorus of um, Aretha Franklin's R-E-S-P-C-T, that is, I think that's a full 30 seconds, I think, if I remember correctly. So um, I think Grey's Anatomy fans will know that because there's an episode where Bailey, when she gets her OCD. Anyways, it's the truth. I double-checked it. I triple-checked it. They they were factual in that episode of Grey. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. So, but yeah, so if you, you know, counting to 20 seconds, yeah, you can do it. Absolutely. If that's your way you choose to do it, go ahead. But if you want to make it more fun and just make sure you do it correctly, happy yeah. birthday times to R-E-S-P-C-T, the chorus, and uh, Outcast. So Fresh and So Clean by Outcast. <laughs> Miss Jackson also works. Um, so um, the other thing is if you don't have water, hand sanitizer, but it has to be greater than 60% alcohol content, okay? And you have to do the same actions you would do as if you're washing your hands, okay? And we also want to make sure that you do it until your hands are dry. Dry, yeah. Until your hands are dry. Yeah, and for somebody who would use hand sanitizer very frequently, so for instance, I think of healthcare workers because we're all healthcare workers, at some point you have to use soap and water. At some point the hand sanitizer is going to get sticky or start to get really grainy, you know, after using it multiple times throughout the day. So at some point you must use soap and water to wash your hands. And if your hands are for whatever reason, visibly soiled. So you have 
I don't know, food particles or something wash, you have to wash your hands first and then use the hand sanitizer because the hand sanitizer is not meant to get through particulate matter. So you have to get that off your hands with even just plain water first before using the sanitizer. And if you want to know the science behind why we say wash your hands, it's an RNA virus. What does that mean? It means that it has a coat around it, like a capsule that's made out of lipids, fats, okay? And the way you break up those fats is the mechanical movement and the soap is going to cause a disruption in that envelope layer of lipids, and that's how you're going to get rid of that virus. Also, the hand sanitizer will work that way with a high enough alcohol content. That's the science behind why that's going to work, okay? Since people, you know, I don't understand why washing your hands is the new thing, but hey! I don't understand. I don't understand why washing your hands is so, it's like a scientific breakthrough, but it's so easy to do and a lot of people don't do it. Another, another thing we're telling you is social distancing. What does social distancing mean? It means that you want to stay six feet away, okay? No, like, hugging, kissing, blah, 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 if you can avoid it. And also, if you can avoid events with 25 people or more, okay, that's also social distancing. Not going out when you don't have to, okay? We want you to exercise. This does not mean, you know, the introverts have been preparing for this all their life. They're so happy. I'm like, I'm excited. I'm like, But, But for those of you that need to socialize, it's okay. It's going to be fine. Okay, just breathe. <laughs> um, but it's it, the way that it works is that you can you can decrease the transmission because you have less person to person interaction, right? And that's how that works. So that's why we're recommending social distancing. That's why many of these organizations have stopped all the you know big communal events. The NBA has, yeah. has canceled. You know the seat. I mean, like that was huge. That was mm-hmm. huge. But it was necessary, okay? And a lot of schools are converting to online classes and so forth. And this is something that I wanted to bring up with you guys. Are you aware that, you know, when they close these schools, you're going to have a lot of kids that are going to miss meals? Are you aware of that? I didn't think about that until today. Well, I, I realized it because a lot of these children get a free or reduced lunch. A lot of these children, you know, their parents or caregivers send them to school very early in the morning. Breakfast and lunch. Right. Maybe we'll give them dinner. We also have to consider the children who are homeless and who go to school. So this is their only source of nutrition. But if I'm not mistaken, a lot of um, counties have taken that into consideration. I believe Baltimore County has taken that into consideration and they'll still be offering free meals to the children, despite the fact that the schools are closed. Right. So the USDA issued a statement saying that they realize that this is going to be an issue and school food authorities only need to submit a permit or sorry, basically a request to them and they will continue to offer lunches and breakfast, depending upon you know the need, to these students. And it can be delivered to the school and then delivered to the student or so forth, however they choose. But they are trying to make up for that deficit. They do have a plan in place for that. There's also organizations like No Kid Hungry and so forth and your local food banks that you can donate to for situations like this. But that is one of the issues that they're thinking about. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
the, you know, with the social distancing also, I have noticed this and I, again, I want to speak to the humanity of people just because someone looks a certain way or is from a certain race. And we know that this thing started in Wuhan does not mean that you should treat them in any other way. We need to stop the stigma. Okay. For some reason, there's this now this anti-Asian American thing going on because they think that those individuals are more susceptible than anybody else. There is no racial preference for COVID-19. Okay. There's no, no, that is not, that's not right. Everybody human, we need to treat everybody equal. That is not right. Okay. We, we stop the stigma. Stop it. I've seen it online. It's like, it's not a right. It's not yeah, okay. It's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Um, kind of going back, touching again on the, the children, not, you know, being able to go to school and potentially get a meal, um, actually went on the CDC website Again, we keep plugging the CDC and their website because right now it's, as well as the WHO website, is a very, they're very good resources. These people who who are at the CDC and who are at the World Health Organization are the people who are working, or some of the people working around the clock and have been working around the clock on this thing since it all started. So they they've been keeping the website updated from, things like travel advisories and how to make a home plan for people who are social distancing or self-quarantining. They talk about things like, um, you know, they make mention of products that you can use to clean. They talk about things like if you have someone in the home who you suspect is infected, you know, to talk about a plan like, you know, making a bathroom that's specifically for that person and that they're, you know, talking about that person is the person who should use it and a room for, for quarantining that person or, you know, kind of distancing them from the other people in the household to make sure that the infection, uh, to decrease the chance of infection. So they talk about all these things, how to, you know, talk to young children about being in an outbreak and that they will, children handle these things differently. So the CDC website is actually a very good resource. It's made for lay people. So it's, Quick bullet bullet points, easy read. It's for us as human beings, both in and out of healthcare, to go and read and get the information that we need. So that's really a good resource. And if anyone has questions, you should definitely refer to that as well as talking to your local healthcare authorities. Right, right. One of the things I want to stress, though, is if you're going to self-quarantine or, or practice social distancing, a couple of things that we don't intuitively think about is if you're on any medications, you can get your physician to call in an extra supply, okay? You can go pick it up from your pharmacy so that you don't have to run out of your medications while you're at home, okay? That's one of the things we need to think about. Um, and sorry to cut you off, I believe it may be CVS that's offering free delivery of medication so people don't have to leave their homes. I, I may be wrong. It may be Walgreens or one of the other pharmacies, but call your pharmacy. I believe some of them are actually willing to bring, to drop off the medications. Oh, that's okay. So, so there you go. So there are, there are precautions in place and all you have to do is pick up your phone and call your provider and say, you know, this is why I want to do it. And I'm sure they will be more than happy to help you. More with than that. happy. Um, also, like we said, you know, just to recap, hand washing, okay, use of sanitizer, cleaning the high traffic areas in your house. Yeah. Either you like Clorox or Lysol wipes, or if you, you know, you can go old school like I do. I'm Caribbean. We put some bleach. water with some bleach and we go to work. Okay. Oh, 
your low shoulder so the sand doesn't kill you in the house. <laughs> Clean down everything. It's, it's fine. <laughs> we, and we, a lot of people, we don't think about the quote high traffic or high touch areas. So light switches, doorknobs, um, even the, the, uh, on your sink, the knob, the handle to turn on the pipe, that's a high traffic area. You touch it after you use the toilet, wash your hands and then touch it again after you use the toilet. And it's technically dirty when you think about it. <laughs> we don't think to wipe that thing down as often. The think toilet. The toilet, the flusher on the toilet. When was the last time you cleaned the flusher on your toilet? I just want to say that my OCD and introvertness has come into play heavy. Okay. <laughs> I'm living my best life right now. You don't have on everything. It's wonderful. I, it's just, so it's just, just something to think about because, you know, we turn on the light switch when we walk into the room, turn it off, whatever, and then we sneeze, touch our face, whatever. Then we walk into the kitchen, hold the refrigerator handle, open it. Like, we don't really necessarily think about cleaning those things, the cupboard handles. So even the front door handle, these are all high-touch areas and we don't always think to clean. Um, so just be mindful that those are areas that can the virus can sit on and wait until someone else comes and touches it and then touches their face. So here's another thing that I want to stress, too, is that that's the touching of the face is another reason why masks are not recommended for asymptomatic individuals. OK, I see people walking around with gloves and with masks. Mm-hmm. on a regular basis in the airport. And because I'm a travel doc, I'm a locums physician. That's what I mean. So I fly out for work and I have seen all forms of things on these planes. And so let me say this to you. The gloves are necessary because what you're doing is you're actually wearing these plastic gloves. You're touching, 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 and then you still touch yourself. That is the, that's not going to work. Okay. <laughs> that's not going to work. And then the mask, you, you, so they're not fitted properly, right? You continually touch the nose and the face, and yeah, guess yeah. what? You've now just knocked right, right there. You did it again. Okay, so don't don't wear the mask. Don't wear the gloves if you're asymptomatic. If someone is sick, they should be staying home. They shouldn't be getting on a plane. Okay, I read a couple of articles where sick individuals who knew that they were either positive or being tested got on planes, and that's not okay. Okay. We have to think of others. Okay. So don't wear a mask if you don't have any symptoms. It does not make any sense. Okay. And now with the travel thing, I mean, now there's a travel ban, uh, <laughs> travel yeah. restriction. So um, Europe and now it's the UK. I can't remember where else it is banned. Uh, and so and, and I think uh, Iran Maybe I'm not yeah. sure. Um, but even the U.S. itself has been issued a travel advisory from the CDC. It's travel, I think it's at level two, which means that if it's non-essential travel, they are re- recommending that you do not travel into the U.S. So the level so, three areas, the level three areas are China, Iran, Italy, and the level two is Japan. South Korea is considered level three. We're considered a level two now. Yeah. Okay. So, Which, when was the last time that happened? When was the last time USA was put on a travel ban list? <laughs> like, so that should tell you the state of the situation here in the U.S. Listen to me. And the seriousness of the issue. Cruise ships have been canceled. I think Disneyland and Disney World are closing. They're closed. Yeah. 
MBA has canceled their schedule. As you know, Stanford has converted to online classes. Most schools have converted to online classes. No, I feel like the institutions are stepping forward and, and trying to stop this and hats off to you. Applaud. I commend them. Yeah. And, and because that's a hard, that's a hard thing to do. I think that, um, you know, the, the airlines are getting a hit, but Hey, I'm sorry. You, you're going to take a hit because we, you know, we have to, we have to prevent the spread of this. Yeah, I, think, I had to cancel I had, a trip. Yeah. I think they'll rebound just fine. I think flights will probably be like $600 in the future, but they'll yeah. rebound just fine. They'll rebound just fine. <laughs> they'll rebound just fine. Like, calm down, calm down. People want, they want to encourage people to continue domestic travel. I saw an, I saw an article, okay? I think it was either the United Airlines guy or whatever. And I was like, really, 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 bro? No. No, if you don't need to travel, please stay home. Okay, we need to stop the yeah. spread of this. This is it's serious, guys. Okay, so um, the other thing I want to kind of go through here is there's there's a couple things that we need to know um, that people don't really talk about. So the way that you get tested for this is it's what we call an RT-PCR test. What is that? It's a fancy way of saying that it's a swab. They're going to stick in your nose all the way back. It's a nasopharyngeal swab. And basically it's turn, turn, turn. And then they send that for diagnosis. It takes a while to come back as a test. It's not available everywhere yet, but the CDC is working hard to get it available everywhere. Okay. But again, like we said, people who should be tested are those that have symptoms, have come in contact with someone who's possibly infected or have been in a high traffic area or have traveled and they need to be screened by their primary care physician first. And then they will determine if you need testing. Okay. The other thing is that People ask me all the time, is there treatment for this? Do we have a cure? We do not have a cure. It is a viral illness, okay? There are two therapies that have been discussed, and this is more of a topic with our other physician friends and colleagues, but there's one called Kaletra, okay, which is actually an HIV medication they're using in some populations. Um, and then there's another one called remdesivir, which is basically in clinical trials. It's only being given to people with severe disease, and they have acute respiratory distress syndrome, which means that they're either on some type of ventilator support, okay? Now, some people are asking another question. Oh, the U.S. has lots of healthcare resources. Aren't we prepared for this? Okay, so SCCM, which is the Society of Critical Care Medicine, and JAMA, which is one of our big publications that we read as medicine professionals, okay, both came out with information about our medical resources that are available in the U.S., and per capita, we are the best out of everyone in the world for resources in terms of per capita, which is basically per 100,000 individuals, okay? We're something like 34, whereas Italy was like 17 or something. I can't remember the exact numbers. However, that does not mean that we have enough resources, okay? We have um, something like 60,000 vents. And when we say ventilators, we mean non-invasive ventilation and invasive ventilation is counted in that together. And what that means for you as lay people is we have nowhere near enough, okay? That's why we're trying to prevent the, the spread of this, okay? Because if this does happen, we're going to be in a situation like Italy where physicians are being confronted with a very difficult decision on who to treat and who not to treat because they don't have enough resources. 
And we don't want that to come to that. So that's why we're asking you to wash your hands and to practice social distancing and to listen to your primary care doctor and to read the correct information, not the misinformation. Another thing that someone asked me was, well, we don't see anyone in Africa getting it. Guess what? There are cases in Africa, number one. Number two, black people are not immune to this. Again, there is no race for this illness. Okay? So please be safe. If you have lungs, you can get infected. There we go. There we go. Beautiful. All right. End it. (laughs) I think that wraps it up nice. MDFEM at gmail.com is our email. Our website is www.mdfem.com, and we invite you to visit the website and also to email us if you have any questions. And we hope this video was informational and basically insightful and helped to kind of calm some of the panic. Don't panic. Plan. Exactly. (laughs) Make a plan. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining. We at MDFEM thank you for tuning into our podcast and vlog. We are real, we are honest, and we are candid about the topics that affect all of us. We hope that our dialogue will dispel myths, change culture, and rewrite the narrative. Please visit us on Instagram and Facebook and our website, mdfem.com. If you have questions or a topic you would like us to address, please don't hesitate to reach out to us through our social media website and email. We listen, we care, mdfem.